Please take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 9, if you would. This morning, we're going to continue with this sermon miniseries that we are in the midst of on the Lord's Church. The Lord's Church. The Church of Christ, as seen in our Lord's Word. We're going to do that with a sermon this morning entitled, What is the Church of Christ, Part 2? Defining, <coughs> Describing, and Discovering. The Lord's Church and her heavenly heritage. Heritage. As we prepare to speak about the heritage of the Lord's Church as seen in Scripture, I'd like to begin here in Romans chapter 9 by reading the following. Romans 9, 1 through 5. Paul writes to the Church of Christ in first century Rome the following. He says, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. I want us to focus in as we begin this morning, particularly on verse 4. Verse 4 tells us about God's Old Testament people. Paul said his heart was broken and he had this terrible anguish because of all they had, and yet all they lost or surrendered. He talked about their adoption. He talked about the glory. He talked about the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, which was part of that, and the promises of God. He talked about the fact that it was from their bloodline, as it were, that Jesus Christ came. What he was talking about was God's Old Testament people's heritage. His Old Testament people's heritage. But they lost it all. Why? Why did they lose it? It wasn't that the word of God failed, but that they failed to follow the word of God. That's what he says in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children, because... They are the seed of Abraham. Hmm. Nor, I think it is safe to say along those same lines, speaking of the New Testament people of God, nor are all churches of Christ churches of Christ. Last Sunday morning, we studied at length and we said if you're going to define what the church is, you need to use God's definition from, from his dictionary, the Bible. We need to use God's definition to define spiritual institutions. And 
I use the illustration that if you call a horse's tail a leg, how many legs does the horse have? Well, it has four. Why? Because it doesn't matter what you call the tail. Still only got four actual legs. Doesn't matter what you refer to it as. A tail is still a tail. Leg is still a leg. And in today's world, there are places that are called churches of Christ. But according to God's holy definition in the divinely inspired scriptures, they're not, according to his definition. We discussed last Sunday morning how his definitions are not always what they may be labeled or defined as by men. We talked about marriage as another example. Certainly, this concept is true in the spiritual world today, and it is of special note to us when it comes to churches, because as we've seen in Scripture, we've seen in God's Word, it takes more than a sign out front to fit the scriptural definition inside. If they don't want to be cast into the outer darkness in the end, Matthew 13 talks about how he will take out of his kingdom some. The reason this review of what the church is and isn't, the reason this sermon miniseries and this review of last week and, and what we're talking about is so critical, so important. A lot of our young people who were raised in a biblically defined church of Christ go off to college, they go off to the military, they get married and move away, or they go to some big city congregation, maybe experience the same thing that some of you have experienced as you have traveled. So you sign out front and you walk in, but you find out that according to God's definition, it's not a church Christ, despite the sign. And one of the things that I want us to focus in on this morning is if you travel much or you go to some of these congregations that don't fit God's biblical definition, you may hear a lot of talk about our Church of Christ heritage or our family of faith heritage or our spiritual heritage or our Stone Campbell heritage. Likely in some of those congregations that don't fit God's definition of what a true Church of Christ is, you're going to hear a lot of that usage of the watchword heritage from some of those tribes, as they like to refer to themselves. Some of our congregations have gone off to call themselves tribes. And they have certain watchwords like heritage. And, and as you go there, the sad part is that you're probably going to hear a lot about a heritage that is completely different from what God's dictionary says our heritage is and as God defines the heritage of those who are his and go to a church defined by his standards. And when and if our young people do go to those situations or move away or they do hear these watchwords, they need to have a foundational, scriptural, functional understanding of exactly what the Bible says our heritage is as a congregation of God's people from the Word. Consider with me this morning. It really shouldn't come as any surprise when those who call themselves churches of Christ, but who openly, proudly deny, defy, and reject 
the commandments of God in favor of man-made and man-honoring names and doctrines shouldn't surprise us that those who do that when it comes to such things as the plan of salvation, when it comes to such things as the essentiality of baptism specifically for the forgiveness of sins, when it comes to those groups who deny and reject the importance of following only the apostles' doctrine, those groups that, that have the spiritual deviancy of instrumental music in their praise and worship, those groups that practice a denial of God's word when it comes to placing women into leadership roles over men in the church and, and a lot of other things they do. Mark 7 and verse 13 like that. It shouldn't surprise us when we have those groups that deny God's word in all of those areas and do what they want that it would be any problem for them to therefore produce and promote some less than scriptural man-made origin or heritage of the Lord's church instead of insisting on teaching the origin and the heritage is taught in the scriptures sort of those like those that reject God's creation account in Genesis for Darwin's theory of evolution I believe I've told you this before and used this illustration, but it's worth repeating. There are some within our brotherhood, there are some who call themselves churches of Christ who will try to convince you, especially you younger folks of the next generation of leaders, they will try to convince you that the roots of the churches of Christ only go back as far as the early 1800s and only go back a couple of hundred years to men like Alexander Campbell Barton W. Stone. They will tell you that they were the founders. They were the founders who started what was to later become the Churches of Christ and the Christian Church and the Disciples of Christ denomination during the American Restoration Movement. I've told you that I was once speaking south of, uh, south of Boston, Mass. in Taunton, Massachusetts at this seminar and I went out in a little bookstore out there and I picked up a trifold and it was explaining the origin of all of the different churches, denominations, and they said the origin of the Church of Christ was in Cane Ridge, Kentucky in 1801 when Barton W. Stone started the Church of Christ. I stood up before all of them and I said, if that's the Church of Christ you came to hear about, you're in the wrong place. Because this morning we're going to talk about the Church of Christ we see in Romans chapter 16, 16. We're going to talk about the Church of Christ that was prophesied in scripture that Jesus promised in Matthew 16 that Peter opened the door to in Acts chapter 2 and that we see in existence from Acts chapter 2 all the way to the end of the New Testament the churches of Christ as we see them labeled in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16 the place where Christ's name carries all preeminence Colossians 1 15 through 18 and Acts 4 and verse 12 nobody got up and left so apparently they were all there for the right church However, it's not surprising that some who don't understand that real biblical love does not rejoice with iniquity but rejoices with the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Somebody, it's not surprising that somebody doesn't understand that and therefore they're not willing to challenge. They're not willing to stand up for the truth and challenge false doctrine. They're not willing to correct and discipline. 
And those who do not understand that glorifying God is something, brethren, glorifying God is something that can only be accomplished when we are being obedient to God. And glorifying God is never, ever, ever, ever accomplished when one is being disobedient and rejecting God's commandments in favor of their man-made preferences. Jesus, in John chapter 17, before he prayed what we call his high priestly prayer, right in the beginning of it there, actually, in the beginning of it, he, he said that glorifying God meant finishing the work that God had for him to do. That's how we glorify God. People want to talk today about, well, I'm going to glorify God by using my talents. And I have this talent. They don't really care that God said don't use it or that God didn't say that I should use it, but I'm going to use it as and glorify God. No, it's not. No, it's not. You know how God is glorified? God is glorified when he is the king and we do what he said. I may be really good at something, or you may. Let's use you instead of me. You may be really good at something. You may be a brain surgeon. You may be, you know... NBA quality basketball player, whatever. You can't do that. We're not going to put hoops up here on the wall. I don't care how good you are at it. God didn't say he wanted that in worship, so we ain't doing it. We don't glorify God by showing people what we're good at. We glorify God by doing what God said. But again, it's not surprising that those that don't understand that love is willing to stand up for the truth and they don't understand that glorifying God is something that is only done when we carry out the truth it's not surprising that they totally misunderstand and misapply the word heritage just as easy as they do the words love and glorify. So this morning, we're going to talk about our heritage. Our heritage. As members of the Lord's Church, we see in the scriptures. I'm going to use a Merriam-Webster definition. Last week, you will recall, if you were here, I said, we can't use Merriam-Webster, because they often contradict God. Well, in this case, we're going to use Merriam-Webster because and only because their definition on this actually agrees with Scripture. We can use it when it agrees with Scripture. We can't use it when it disagrees. But Merriam-Webster's definition of heritage is the traditions, achievements, beliefs, etc., that are part of the history of a group or nation. That's what heritage is. The full definition of heritage goes on to give us three more subparts. Number one, and I'll be repeating each one of these as we <coughs> examine them if you don't get them all. Number one, property that descends to an heir. Number two, something transmitted by or acquired from a predecessor such as a legacy, inheritance, or tradition. The third part of the definition of heritage is, or the third subgroup is, something possessed as a result of one's natural situa situation or birth, a birthright. Now, as I read those definitions, many of those words are found in the Bible, aren't they? They certainly are. So this morning, I want to take a look at some of those terms from God's dictionary and try to catch a glimpse of what our true heritage is, our true heritage of faith. 
as New Testament children of the living God and as members of Christ's one New Testament church that was established on the day of Pentecost in 33 AD as seen in Acts chapter 2 and is seen throughout the rest of the New Testament. We're not going to, to define our heritage based on men's presumptions, but on the will of Almighty God. Let us take a look this morning at that extended definition. Heritage means property, number one, property that descends to an heir, H-E-I-R, of course. Property that descends to an heir. Let's look at, from the Bible, our heritage, the property that descends to us as heirs. Galatians chapter 3. Please turn there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, through chapter 4 and verse 7. Property that descends to an heir. Galatians 3, 26. Notice what it says. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. People get all hung up on Ephesians chapter 2. Tell us all we have to do is believe. Ephesians chapter 2 says we are saved by grace through faith. That is not that hard to understand. The phrase through faith is right here. See it? You're all sons of God through faith. How are we saved by grace through faith? A quick aside, God's grace and us having faith enough to do what God said to receive that grace. It's that simple. We are saved through, by God's grace through our faith. So how do we respond to God's grace? God's grace can't save us if we don't do it through faith. And faith is being willing to trust God enough to accept his grace on his terms. How do we do that? Galatians 3.26. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for... As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's how our faith takes God at his word and accepts his grace. They were told on the day of Pentecost that if they would repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. That's where they got the grace and forgiveness. Same thing here. That's when we become children of God. He goes on to say, verse 28, of Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Because you've been baptized into Christ. So now that you are in Christ, you are all one, but only in Christ. You're not in Christ if you haven't been baptized into Christ. But if you have, you are. And if you are Christ, verse 29, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There it is. Heirs according to the promise. You're heirs if you're in Christ, if you've been adopted as a son of God through the blood of Christ. Now I say, chapter 4 and verse 1, that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's master of all. But he's under guardians and stewards until a time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Where did we receive the adoption? When we were baptized, when our sins were washed away, when we accepted his grace through our faith, we became sons, Galatians 3, 26 and 7 at that point. And because you are sons, chapter 4 and verse 6, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, 
Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. If you are a son, you are an heir because you have been adopted. We have an adopted son. And the Bible says that we are adopted through the blood of Christ, crying out, Abba, Father, as you all know, or most all of you, I'm sure, know that term, term Abba means daddy. It's like a little child, a little two or three-year-old climbing in their, in their father's lap and saying, Daddy, and crying out. We cry out, Abba, Father, we are his children. If we've been baptized into Christ, born again of the water and the spirit. And if we have done that, then the Bible makes it incredibly clear that if you are a son, you are an heir. Right there in verse 7, but that's not the only place. Romans 8, 14 through 17 will help us to complete that high definition picture that we talked about last week. Turn to me to Romans 8, look what it says. Very similar passage, but we've got to understand that we are heirs. And that there are things, because we are an heir, that will descend to us, according to Merriam-Webster. Romans 8, verse 14, look what it says. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Don't miss the word are. We are. Doesn't say you're going to be. Doesn't say when you get to heaven that all of a sudden you're going to become a child of God. It's present tense. All of those of us who are in Christ, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, the beginning of this chapter, all of us who are in Christ are children of God now. And if we are children of God now, through that process, look what it says. And if children, verse 17 of Romans 8, then heirs. I am an heir now along with Jesus Christ. That's what it says. We are children of God, if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. You know what it means to be joint heirs with Christ? Think about this. It means everything that belongs to Jesus Christ, everything, is ours as well. You see, he was the only begotten son of the Father. He was the firstborn. But God's got a big house. God's got a lot of blessings to give. And so God's adopted this whole family, anybody and everybody that would, that would submit to his commandments and have their sins washed away can become part of his family. Isn't God awesome? And we get to be heirs along with Jesus Christ. Everything that belongs to Jesus is ours. That's what the scripture says. Joined heirs with Christ. Amen. The second element in Webster's definition of heritage, as we said, is something transmitted by or acquired from a predecessor. It gives us three terms, legacy, inheritance, and tradition. Another incredible element, this, this, this unspeakably incredible, awesome, wonderful element of my biblical heritage, as a blood-bought child, as a born-again in the waters of Christian baptism child, of God and a member of his one New Testament church we see in the Bible is the inheritance. The inheritance. 
that I have been promised by God who cannot lie, not because I'm good, but because of the blood of Christ. Not because I'm good, but because God is awesome and because God adopted me into his family. That inheritance that I have been promised thanks to my predecessor, my purchaser, my advocate, and my redeemer, who was the firstborn from among the dead, and through whose blood I one day will be resurrected as well if I continue to walk with him. Look at our inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1. Look what it says. <coughs> inheritance. I'm an heir with an inheritance. Ephesians 1 verses 11 through 18. Look what it says. In him, there it is again, if you're outside of Christ, if you've never repented and been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've never become a son of God by being born again of the water and the spirit, if you've never been baptized into Christ for that specific reason, then you're not in Christ. This is another promise for those in Christ. Look what it says. Again, verse 11, in him. Are you in Christ? In him. Also, we have obtained. Past tense, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Paul's talking about those few there that first did, but it applies to all of us. Look at verse 13, and look at the first word. In him. In him. You also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, obviously, they heard, and they had the faith to respond, as those did in Acts 2.38. It's not simply a hearing. They heard, they believed, they believed enough to obey. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Look at this. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance. You ever bought a product? It was advertised as the be-all and end-all that would solve some problem you had. Came with a guarantee, written right there on the label. It was guaranteed or your money back. It got it home and it was pretty much worthless. How many besides me have been, had that happen? Because the guarantee pretty much wasn't worth the paper it was written on. So we get a little leery. Written guarantees. This guarantee is from God. Look at that passage again. Look at that, look at that. I got mine highlighted so it's easy to find. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We have a guarantee written in blood of our inheritance. Isn't God awesome? That's our legacy. That's our heritage. If we're a member of that church we see in the Bible, if we're in Christ like the Bible defines it, then we have all of this inheritance like the Bible defines it. But listen, if we're part of a church that's not in the Bible, if we're part of a church that, that didn't come about the way the Bible says it, doesn't fit God's definition, then we must have some other inheritance that's not in there because we, we, we can only get the inheritance in the Bible by doing what the Bible says and being part of the church in the Bible. That's our heritage. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. It says the same thing. 1 Peter, chapter 1. Peter agrees with Paul. You'd think the same God was responsible for all of the scripture, wouldn't you, the way it agrees? 
Yes, you would. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. People, my hope is not dead. I have a living hope. You know why? Because I have a living Savior. I didn't come here this morning for a funeral. The tomb is empty. I came here to celebrate that I have a living hope. To an inheritance. Here's our inheritance. Incorruptible. Not time, moth, rust, age, people can't touch my inheritance. Old rat home, can't touch it. That's right. Uh-huh. It is incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. There's a place in heaven, if you're in Christ, got a reserved for sign right there, and nobody's parking in your spot. Is that what scripture says? Sort of. <laughs> reserved where? No, we're not talking about, we're not talking about some thousand year on earth thing. My inheritance is reserved in heaven. And time and moth and rust and thieves can't touch it. That's my inheritance as a member of the church in the Bible, because that's the inheritance in the Bible given to those in Christ. Doesn't fade away. I don't care what kind of car you like. I don't care if you buy a brand new one off the showroom. I don't care if you order it. Time going to make the paint fade, isn't it? Might take it 20 years. We get some really good paint jobs out there, but it's going to fade. But my inheritance in heaven, a million years will not blunt the shine of what I've got because I've been adopted into the family of God. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice. Amen. That's what I'm here for this morning. Even though now, for a little while, you're going to have trials on this earth. Yeah, you are. But if you keep your eyes on that inheritance, look what it says. Verse 8, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Peter says, you should be so happy you can't even tell people how happy you are. Joy inexpressible because you've got your eyes on your inheritance. Folks, that's our heritage. That's our heritage. That's our heritage. And just how are we assured of obtaining that inheritance, which is such a beautiful part of our heritage of faith? I'll tell you how we don't get it. We don't get it by rebelling and rejecting what God said, rebelling against his authority. We get it by being obedient to heaven's commandments as contained in the same holy word of God. Turn to me to Acts 20. You want that inheritance? You gotta be in Christ. You gotta be added, Acts 2.47, to his church that way, and then You've got to continue to do what God said. Difficult to understand, right? When we rebel against the commandments of the Bible, when we say, well, I'm going to put a Church Christ sign out front, but that stuff about, you know, those commandments of God in 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 37, I'm just going to say that those that have nothing to do with me, just pick and choose. You can't do that. Acts 20, verses 28 and following, look what Paul says. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the shepherd of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He's talking to the elders here. But then he makes this statement. He says, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Brethren, in the Lord's church today there are some people who are coming up with a man-made worship pattern. They're coming up with all kinds of man-made things that they prefer. And one of them they're coming up with is a man-made origin and heritage for the Lord's church saying it began in the 1800s. No, it didn't. If it did, then most of my Bible's wrong. But they're trying to draw away disciples after themselves. Verse 31, therefore watch and remember for three years I didn't cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Verse 32, we usually stop there and talk about just, just the elders and the immediate context, but look at the rest of it. Verse 32, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. What is he saying? He's saying, look, I know people are going to come in with all these stories they've made up, and I, I know they're going to come in and say things other than the scripture, but if you really want that heavenly inheritance, you've got to stick with the word. I commend you to the word of God and his grace. And that is the only thing that was able to give them this inheritance. God's word is the divinely dictated dictionary, blueprint, blueprint, I can say that, or pattern for us to follow in all heavenly institutions, including the church. Pattern, do you know how important pattern is to God? Consider this. In Exodus 25, 26, and 27, Moses is repeatedly told that he must go exactly, precisely, by the pattern that God gave him. In Numbers 8, Hebrews 8, and Acts 7, that fact is repeated over and over again how vital it was that Moses made all things according to the pattern of God when it came to the house and worship of God. Pattern means everything to God. Consider these New Testament texts. I'm going to read through them real quick. Just listen. Philippians 3.17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. 1 Timothy 1.16. However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Titus 2.7, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Do you think patterns matter to God? Yet, there are some with churches of Christ's signs who do not want to submit to God's pattern, so they just deny there is one. You, maybe you've heard the term. There's no such thing as pattern theology. This was a phrase that was thrown around a few years back in our brotherhood. There's no pattern theology. What were they saying? God doesn't care about pattern. So we're just going to go ahead and do whatever we want to do because God doesn't care about patterns. <coughs> But you know, denying there is a pattern doesn't negate its existence or requirements any more than an atheist who denies the existence of God somehow causes God to cease to exist. Just because you say it ain't there doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And that goes along with the last term we see, or the next term we see in Webster's definition of the word heritage, and that is tradition. A couple of things on tradition. 
Tradition a good word or a bad word? Yep. Depends on how it's used. Is fire a good word or a bad word? Well, if it's 30 below, I'd like fire, wouldn't you? <coughs> but if it burns my house down, I don't want a fire. Depends on its context. Tradition is the same way. We must never reject, transgress, or make of no effect the commandments of God by following uninspired men's traditions. Matthew 15, 1 through 9, Mark 7, 1 through 13. We must never reject, transgress, or make of no effect the commandments of God by following uninspired men's teachings and traditions. In fact, Colossians 2 and verse 8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Listen, if we as the Lord's church, if we as the churches of Christ surrender ourselves up to empty deceit and the basic traditions of this world, which transgress the commandments of God, Bible says we can cheat ourselves out of our heavenly inheritance. What a terrible thing to surrender. What a terrible tragedy to lose our inheritance and cheat ourselves out of our heavenly reward, Colossians 2, 1 through 19. But not only must we never follow uninspired men's teachings and traditions, we must never transgress or make of no effect the commandments of God through disobedience to inspired men's teachings either. 1 Corinthians 14, 33-37. Turn to me to 2 Thessalonians 2, would you please? As much as we must not follow uninspired men's doctrines and traditions, we must follow inspired men's doctrines and traditions. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Anybody who will believe the truth what the gospel call is, anybody who will believe that and respond to it can be saved. God has chosen those who will do that, but it's still up to us whether or not we do. Verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. If the tradition came from the apostles, whether it was in person and they, they spoke the tradition, or whether it's in the epistles that we have, the Bible, those are good traditions. It is the traditions of men since then that render our worship vain. Matthew again, chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7. The third element that I just want to briefly, or the last element I want to just briefly touch on in the word heritage, Something possessed as a result of one's natural situation or birth, birthright. Perhaps one of the most overlooked and yet most relevant elements to our current discussion of our heritage as members of the Lord's One New Testament Church is found in our being challenged, chastened, and corrected by our Heavenly Father in His Word 
whenever necessary. Hebrews chapter 12. Brethren, we got to understand that our Heavenly Father sometimes has to correct us, and He has to lay it on strong because we're hard-headed and slow learners. Sometimes we have to be challenged, chastened, and corrected. And when God corrects us through His Word, and we're told that we need to stop doing something that we're doing, that we like to do, or we need to start doing something we don't want to do, don't run out of the house and throw a hissy fit and leave the family. God disciplines us because He loves us. And because he wants us to keep that inheritance. Look what it says, Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 11. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness by those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. In other words, if I can paraphrase, don't get all bent out of shape when God seeks to correct you. Pursue peace with all people, verse 14 and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Nobody's going to see the Lord unless they're pursuing peace and holiness. Looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be a fornicator, a profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. You know that afterward when he wanted to inherit, there's one of our words, the blessing, he was rejected. He found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Sometimes, if you're a member of God's family, he's going to correct you. Yep. You've got to understand God loves you so much. He's correcting you for good reason. He wants you in heaven. As baptized, born-again, blood-bought members of the Lord's one New Testament church of Christ, which we see in the Bible, we have an infinitely rich, eternally incorruptible, and absolutely priceless inheritance waiting for us. Isn't that great? God is so good. It's waiting for us in heaven, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. That, my beloved brethren, is my spiritual, to spiritual heritage as a member of that church I see in Scripture. Because unless I'm a member of that church I see in Scripture, I don't get the inheritance that's promised to the members of that church in Scripture. It is a faith heritage unequaled and unparalleled by any man-made church which is newer, never seen in, or more recent than the end of the New Testament. To desire any other heritage of faith is to desire something infinitely far worse, far less, and indeed worth less by compared to the heritage we have. Please, do not let anybody ever convince you outside of the Bible to define what the Lord's church is and say, hey, we're just another man-made denomination. That's our heritage. No, it's not. Don't cheapen what Christ died to give you. Don't throw it away. My heritage? We've talked about it. How about you this morning? What's your heritage? Are you part of a church that began in the first century A.D. as described in the scriptures, a church that was promised throughout the Old Testament? Are you part of the church that you see in existence, practicing worship that was in these pages throughout the first century? Because there's only one way to become a member of that church, and that's obviously the way, same way God said in the book. You've got to hear about Jesus. You've got to believe what you hear. You've got to be willing to confess Jesus as Lord. You've got to be willing to repent. 
Turn your heart around. Give it to God, all of it. Follow his word, his plan. And you have to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Not because they've been forgiven. That ain't what the book says. But for the forgiveness of your sins. When you do, your heavenly heritage is literally out of this world. This morning, if you're here and you'd become a member of that church, by doing what God said, become part of his son's church. Or if you need the prayers of his son's church, anything we can do to help you this morning, please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.